We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC. And on this show, we are going to talk about the New York Knicks advancing in the NBA playoffs to the second round. Not to talk about the Miami Heat, though. We are going to do an exit interview of the Cavs series with Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod. What a good guy. That is, first of all, if the Knicks had lost in five, I'd be going nowhere near a podcast, a thing that was content related to talk about said series, especially in the way that the Cavs were dominated by the Knicks in this series. And Justin, because he is clearly a better person than me, uh, was cool enough to give me a little bit of his time on this Thursday, the day after Cavs Elimination Day talk about the series. So thank you for tuning in, everybody. We've got a lot of content coming out over the next couple of days previewing this series against the Heat. But before we move on, one final time, let's talk about the Knicks' first-round series against the Cavaliers with Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Podcast. Enjoy. Joining me now on the latest edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show, uh, it ends up being a bit of an exit survey because while the Knicks are headed to the second round of the NBA playoffs for an unbelievable serendipitous matchup against the Miami Heat, he is headed to the offseason with a ton of questions that I'm hopefully allowed to ask and he's going to answer. Uh, the predictor of Cavs in six, whose co-host predicted Cavs in five. Yeah, you got uh, the games right. It, good, good job, Carter. You nailed it. The series would go five games. Um, he's also co-host of the Outstanding Cavaliers podcast for the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, podcast network. Um, also on our YouTube channel, The Chase Down. He is Justin Rowan, and he returns to Nick's Film School. Uh, Justin, how you been? How 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 the last week and a half go for you? I'm I'm doing great. Just as I predicted, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and Milwaukee Bucks are going toe to toe <laughs> after the first round. Uh, looking each other eye to eye, and, and and we'll see how that shakes out. I, I'm doing good, man. It it sucks. Um, it, obviously it sucks. I I thought uh th this was a series that could go a lot longer and. Uh, a lot of kind of the areas of concerns that we highlighted uh, in our crossover podcast, but before the series, 
it all came to fruition. And uh, the Knicks absolutely earned this. And uh, I got to be honest, I, I mentioned this on, on last night's podcast, kind of summarizing my thoughts, but I'm rooting for the Knicks at this point, right? Like, mm. I, I want... I want them to have a great showing in the second round. I want I want to see them advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. I want it like you, you never want to be beat by a team that goes out sad the next round. And then you're like, OK, well, what does that mean by like osmosis here about mm-hmm. the Cavs? Right. Like, I, I think the Knicks put up a great fight. I'm hoping that Julius Randle obviously is OK. I'm, I'm sure that's a once again, you're doing that kind of content uh, in a series preview. So that's fun. But um, look, man, this this is a really good deep team uh, that just beat the hell out of the Cavs in every facet of the game. So I've split this rundown into like two parts where one of it, the first part of it is like, how do you feel about this? And specifically like X's and O's and we'll get your take on it. Then I, I have some fan base questions and how they're taking the loss today and the, the Cavalier faithful at large. So I want to start with how you feel about this because we went back and forth and we did our crossovers before the series. And I don't want to say we... Because we did highlight the the rebounding thing would be a thing. that The Knicks were a great offensive rebounding team and the Cavs were last in defensive rebounding since the All-Star break. I didn't realize it was going to be the decider of the series in, mm-hmm. in, in my mind, but I, I'm curious for you, did... Is that the biggest thing that surprised you that that became the biggest decisive thing of the series? Or was there other things about the Knicks that surprised you? I don't know if that's necessarily surprising. Like we talked about depth and we talked about offensive rebounding being big time X factors. Right. And I think traditionally, when you look at a playoff series, those aren't normally something that decides a series, right? Like it, it was okay. Well, I, I know that this is a big area of concern, but is this going to be what ultimately dooms the team? And I think what we found is when you take it to this level of extreme where you have, you know, the best offensive rebounding team and the worst defensive rebounding team, when you have what is very has a great case to be the deepest team in the league and one of the most shallow playoff rotations. Right. Like I think taking both of those things to an extreme definitely played a massive factor. But what did we talk about before the series is no matter how you rank guys in the regular season, no matter what all their numbers look like in a 10 day span, anybody can outplay anybody. Uh, we we highlighted, you know, Kyrie outplaying Steph in the finals, right? And it was okay. We, we can do as many pre-series rankings as we want, but what ultimately happens in the series is what's going to dictate it. And the Knicks had the best guard, and the Knicks had the best big man in this series. And for a Cavs team whose strengths are guards and big men, when that is the case, you're not going to win the series. So um, as much as we focus on the rebounding, I, I do think you, you have to look at every single one of the core four because I, I think all of them had games that were stronger. Like Jared Allen started the series 14 and 14. Second game, uh, got the rebounds, three steals, three blocks, three assists, right? Like he, he was doing his part. But I think he got worn down as the series went on. And, and some of that, I, I think we can highlight schematically. Donovan Mitchell started off slow game one, eventually exploded to 38 points and, and wasn't really a factor for the rest of the series. Darius Garland was relatively consistent in terms of offense outside of that one game, but the playmaking wasn't there, right? Evan Mobley's offense was not there at all, right? So I think... Every single one of these guys can point at something that they did individually that needed to be better. And I think that was the main story coming out of the series. You know, it's 
It's so interesting you talk about Mobley like having to be better specifically in that case because that was the first thing that I took away from the first crossover we did. When I came on the day after Randall's ankle was diagnosed before the last regular season game, and the thought was like if if we think if you and Carter thought that Mobley had taken a leap offensively, then like you should really like your chances. And I got to be honest, my biggest takeaway from watching the Cavs for these five games is how not there yet Mobley yeah. is offensively. And like Julius Randle on one leg, he barely moved him. The the fadeaways that he was doing in the in the short mid range, I just it, there was a very clear like just flat out we kept calling it weight room every time we'd see the, him try to back down someone in the paint. It was like oh so this is this is a not yet type yeah. of series for him. Is and that how rushing, rushing too, right? Like there was his process the just wasn't there yet, you know. So it times in the short roll where usually he kind of has that little bit of a floater or or push shot in the lane, and there were times where I don't know if he was trying to figure out, am I throwing the lob or am I attempting the shot? Like it wouldn't even hit rim; it would hit the backboard. Uh, one of the stats I highlighted was for the series, Mobley played about thirty-eight minutes per game. He averaged nine point eight points per game. Isaac Okoro only played fifteen minutes per game, and he averaged six point four points per game. Yeah, Like the whole conceit, the whole thing that we had talked about all season long with the Cavs is when you get to postseason basketball, what defenses can do to a backcourt of two guards that are like six, three and below is all like you're going to make life hell for guys that short if they don't have a front court initiator. Um, the the backcourts where that's worked. You've had a guy like a Draymond Green that helps free them up that, that or even Bam Adebayo. Look, look at what he does to, to help open things up for the Miami Heat. Evan Mobley needed to be that guy. That is kind of the the whole philosophy of the, this roster building. And he wasn't there yet. And uh, as much as you can put that on him, I, I do think Donovan Mitchell left a lot of food on the table. Darius Garland left a lot of food on the table. They could have been better as well. But um, in terms of Evan Mobley, the 19 point per game score that we saw from like mid-January on for the rest of the year just simply wasn't there. Well, so that's Mobley. And... While like the defense, I think was the most impressive thing that I took away from him. With he he was good on that end. He was sure. very good, and th- it's why like the the Julius Randall performance is so difficult to grade because I thought he finally figured out some good offense and good processing game five, and of course he gets hurt again. But for for one game, he had a good half, and then I thought Mobley made it even more difficult for him. Yeah. Game two. I mean, most of his made baskets were in garbage time. And then he re-aggravates what I mean, the, the theory is that he got injured again on that uh, flagrant by by Jared Allen, which okay. I just I don't care about pe- whether people thought it was dirty or not. I cared more about why he's in the game in, in the first place. Like, yeah. why? Why does Tibbs have him in? Um, point being, like, you saw Julius really become a jump shooter the rest of the series. Um, so you wondered if he was, that was just, a factor. It just was more of. He wasn't able to do bully ball anymore. We had you had Jetty and you had Rubio on him a few times, and he still wasn't going to the Danny paint. Green. <laughs> right, so it's like you're not able to take advantage of that. So maybe you're just not able to to push anymore. But I say all that because the Mobley defensive side of the ball, I I saw it, you know. But offensively, mm-hmm. it was clear, like okay, second year. Like I have to remember that that while they made the big trade, he's still in his second year. We got to talk about Donovan Mitchell, of course. Of course. And yeah. the I, look, it became the Donovan Mitchell series because of what happened last summer. And 
a lot of Knicks fans, I, I think myself included, have now been like, okay, we can now put that storyline to rest. Like, it's a good thing, at least for now, that they didn't make that trade. Mm-hmm. So I now ask on the inverse, how are you feeling the day after the team that didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell defeated Donovan Mitchell in a playoff series? Um, honestly, it doesn't really change my feelings of this. Um, people say, well, you, you did all this to, to lose in five games in the first round. And, and my question is still, where would they be if they didn't do this? Right. Mm. Like, w- would they have been in the play in? Um, w- would they just be OK? Well, you know, we, we lost to the Milwaukee Bucks or, or the Boston Celtics in, in the first round as a seven seed. Um, and we, we can keep kind of going along in our process. Right. Like you learn from these setbacks. You learn from being exposed in this way. And the Knicks were like their strengths were in all the cast pain points, whether it was offensive rebounding, the physicality. Right. Like that's what hurts as a, a cast fan is team identity. What, what we did, we used to go out there and we would out-rebound the hell out of teams. Uh, Tristan Thompson made the Atlanta Hawks life hell. We played the Golden State Warriors and all that ball movement. We're jamming every single cutter. We're making Curry feel uh, our, our presence uh, on the defensive end of the floor so he doesn't want to run around. And the Knicks did that to the Cavs. The Cavs don't have the shooting to generate consistent spacing, so they do it through their movement. They do it through three-man actions. The uh, uh, the split cuts, all everything that they do with their big men. And what happened was the Knicks, and uh, to be clear, because I, I know everyone gets sensitive after a series, it was perfectly legal, but they were, you know, you're oh, they're playing physical the, with them. Yeah. They're making the presence felt. You're jamming every single cutter. You're making sure that nobody's getting a free run through the lane. That's great basketball. I love that basketball. That was the type of basketball I played when I was playing, right? Like that is exactly what you need to be doing. And the Cavs' response to that was, I don't like getting hit, so I'm going to stand around. Mm. And the offense got stagnant as a result of that, right? So, like, full credit to the Knicks for doing that. But I, I do think in terms of how the Cavs respond to this, a lot got exposed here, and some of it is going to be front office level, right? Finding ways to improve the rotation, to add depth, to, to add kind of what's been missing here. Some of it's going to be internal with the players, right? Like you're, you're going to have to get in the weight room. You're going to have to be ready for this level of physicality. Um, I, I think other matchups, they probably would have shown a lot better than they did in this one. But, you know, these weaknesses got exposed. What are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm not trying to sound like Michael Irvin, but really, what are you going to do about it? Um, and, and then coaching staff, obviously, is going to have to reflect on this as well, right? And, and I think there were limited levers that the, they had to pull. Like there just isn't the depth. I think that that's fair, but there was also mistakes and, and and things that could have gone better there, right? Like it's it's a team-wide failure, and honestly, there's some comfort in it not being Donovan Mitchell averages 40 points per game, looks around the locker room and says, y'all lost. It wasn't mm. that. You could probably make an argument he wasn't even the best guard on the Cavs in this series. Like I think Garland was probably a little more consistent overall. Um, that can't be the case. And, and uh, you, you listen to the quotes today, he owned up to it. I, I expect them to respond to this. And honestly, if this isn't something that they do respond to, these aren't the type of guys that you can build around. Right. And I have full confidence that they are going to respond to this. So his performance in this series isn't, I mean, I'm sure it's disappointing. Okay. I mean, you've kind of answered this, but how's the fan base feeling about him? Not great. Not, not great. great man. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I'm, I'm not sitting here telling people, you know, 
be calm, be chill. Like, you know, uh, think of the long term approach, right? Like I got to do nuance because I'm jumping on a podcast. And if I'm just sitting here whining and complaining, that's not going to be interesting podcasting <laughs> for the fans. Like and this is the exact same thing with Knicks fans. If they cared so much when they win, where they're celebrating and they're loving it and they're doing the fan experience properly, you can't have that passion on one end without having the passion on the other end. When mm. when the team is disappointing, you're going to feel that. You're going to be angry. You're going to want heads to roll. You're going to want to blame everybody but your favorite player, right? Like you're going to find who you want to scapegoat and go out and try to get your pound of flesh and you're going to yell this is the time for yelling. This is the time for them to be disappointed. And I'm I'm not here gatekeeping anybody's response. I'm going to take a measured approach because it's what I do. It's it's also just like that's the way I am as a fan, even to begin with, right? Like even when we went back and started the podcast, what what I do is try to find what's happening, and I probably skew to the realistic side of what's possible, right? Like I'm solutions orientated. That's just the way I view life. Um, so that that's the way I'm approaching this. But for right now, people aren't feeling good, man. Like it, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. What's up, Knicks fans? GMAC here interrupting this episode with a very important programming note. As you know, the New York Knicks take on the Miami Heat in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Game one is hosted by the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. I can't believe it either. Well, if you can't afford to go to the game or just don't want to go to the game, but you still want to watch the game with a bunch of raucous Knicks fans like yourself. You know where you got to go? It's the second ever KFS playoff watch party, baby. We're going to Penn 6, 132 West 31st Street, Midtown. It's walking distance from Madison Square Garden. The frequently asked questions we get. It's free of charge. Bring your kids. Bring your friends. You could bring as many friends as you want to. Let's pack that place out with Knicks fans. There's even drink specials on the menu this time. $5 on select drafts. $6 on house wine. $8 on house drinks. You want to be there and watch it with the KFS crew. Game one, Knicks against the Heat. It's going down. Again, that's 132 West 31st Street. Be there at 1230 when the New York Knicks take on the Miami Heat. I tried to put myself in the reality of if the Knicks had made the trade and this same scenario happened. You know, like it's different because of... Like if it was like in the final running, the Knicks and Cavs were the two teams rumored and the Knicks pulled the trigger and then the Cavs beat the Knicks in five games. What New York would be doing with yeah. Donovan Mitchell right now. And after seeing what they did with like Alfred Payton two years ago and Julius last year and to be honest, RJ Barrett this year. And we'll, we'll talk about RJ in a second because I want to mm-hmm. give uh, the Canadian a chance to talk about his boy. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't imagine Ha, like going through the the wiping of the assets to the not to the extent the Cavs did, but what the Knicks were rumored to have had to do mm-hmm. to then have him have this type of performance. Um, I guess the, the only because I watched his post game presser last night and I could tell that this was a guy that was. I'm, I kind of got to be honest. I don't know if you felt the same way. I kind of felt it after Game Four that he realized like this was. Like this series is not going our way, and mm-hmm. I don't think he quit in Game Five. But there was just a there was a, a hint of like a, the only way we're going to win this, and I think it showed in the shot diet is if I go nuts and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, do you think he felt the pressure of? I don't want to talk. I, I really think he doesn't want to. He doesn't think it's about the trade or last summer, but like specifically it being a New York series and his ties to New York and the Johnny Bryan of it all. Do you think he felt that kind of pressure? And that's what led to his performance. 
Yeah, I, I never want to play like armchair psychiatrist. Like, right, who knows? Right. Like, maybe even just going up against Jalen Brunson again, right? Oh, the, yeah, with with, with the way last year went, right? Like, there, there's so many factors, and there were times early in the series too where it's like, okay, I, I think, and again, this goes into kind of a, an encouraging aspect of this. It wasn't from the starties. Okay, these guys aren't ready. I'm just going to take every single shot where I'm giving up on the team concept, right? Like he was trying to find his balance of when to defer, when not to, right? Like, okay, we're a little bit better when the offense is running through Garland's hands. Let's kind of explore that space. And then what ended up happening was he was just missing a lot of open shots and he would press and the offense would break down. And, you know, basketball's a, a cyclical thing, right? Like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't want to necessarily kind of attribute it to that. Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. I I'm pretty sure I said on your podcast uh, and in talking to you early in the season and, and before the series, like I thought New York made the right decision. I, I thought Donovan Mitchell is kind of that finishing piece that you bring in and it would feel a little bit different if the Knicks did it and the supporting guys around him is 28 year old Julius Randle and 26 year old Jalen Brunson and 25 year old Mitchell Robinson, right? Like Instead, it's, you know, 21-year-old Evan Mobley, a 23-year-old Darius Garland, 24-year-old Jared Allen, right? Like, mm. it, it's it's a bit of a different dynamic. And it's when you see these consolidation trades, and honestly, I think the Knicks are going to do it. Like, th- this was one of, another one of the things that I brought up on the podcast is the, the Cavs are going to have to learn some lessons from this because the Knicks aren't going anywhere. Mm. Like, Milwaukee's got questions with Middleton. Uh, Harden might go to, to Philly with rumors, right? Like mm-hmm. East might be opening up a little bit at the top. Knicks aren't going anywhere and they still have this stockpile of assets. So whether it's Joel Embiid, whether it's whoever they choose to go after, they're probably going to be bringing in a, another piece at some point in the near future. And the Knicks are going to have to go through a little bit of what the Cavs did, where you sacrifice your depth. And usually it's year two, a, another transaction window after you make that consolidation trade where you start to round out the rotation and you feel a little bit better about your depth, right? So the Cavs are, are going to have to make some of those moves on the margins, but more than anything, the growth needs to come from the core four. Like that, that is the absolute most important thing when it comes to the Cavs. So let me follow up on that because there's a fascinating trend with these playoffs where you look at Minnesota, you look at Atlanta, and unfortunately you look at Cleveland And these teams that went all in with that type of trade, they're gone in the first round. And the ones that did go all in that are still left are Phoenix, Kevin Durant. And we'll see like where that goes. I was about to say Phoenix went all in too. Right. I'm I'm listing. I'm about to list the three. The ones that did go all in are Phoenix, the Lakers with Anthony Davis. But even the Anthony Davis trade, like they won their title and then they went all in again with Russ and it failed. But then they, with this deadline went back to building out depth and now the Lakers are in a much better spot. The other one that you can point to is Milwaukee and um, the Drew Holiday trade. But again, you had Giannis. So it was, it was really like the final piece. And, and I got, won- yeah, you got a championship out of it. Right. So I'm trying not to make a full judgment on, on those types of all in trades. I'm just wondering if, as a as a lesson for the Knicks going forward. And like who knows what the Cavs do if they're able to get a wing in the future or if, like you said, the the core four take a leap and the the younger players get better as they're most likely going to do. But like you look at Boston, who never made the col- consolidation trade, or like the v- very famous like Kevin Love for Clay Thompson trade that never happened. <laughs> right? Like those types of of consolidation trades. Like 
I don't know. Do you, do you think there's something the Knicks could learn in the sense of like, yeah, I, again, I yeah, don't want to overreact to what they're doing. I also don't, real quick, I don't want to overreact to the Knicks winning one playoff series and then beating an eighth seed to get the conference finals and being like, we're good. Like, we don't need to do any consolidation trade. This is the roster. Let's be Memphis. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it doesn't matter either lesson. way, you know? There, there is a very, very important lesson, which is one, make mm-hmm. sure you're going all in on the right guy. You have to feel confident. And right now, I still feel good that Donovan Mitchell's that kind of guy. Like, I think he is a good fit with this. Mm-hmm. And you, they're going to need to make some adjustments on the rotation. I think, obviously, Evan Mobley's going to need to pan out. But if that happens, I believe in, in this foundation and what this core can be. But you have to make sure you're going in on the right guy. That's lesson one. Lesson two is, is there a team building route that's guaranteed to win? Mm-hmm. Like, Toronto Raptors, they they went organic for a while. Eventually, they made their consolidation trade and got Kawhi, right? Like, but uh, Boston, mm. you, you, a team that hasn't made the consolidation trade, and they still almost last year they almost lost to Milwaukee without Middleton. They almost lost to Miami with Jimmy Butler missed yeah. shot, and then they frankly they lost to a Warriors team they shouldn't have lost to. Yeah, like uh, Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on that team, and. Boston struggled because they didn't have a single player that could dribble, right? Like, um, they, they lost to a Warriors team that they shouldn't have win, uh, lost to, right? Like, there is no roster building path that is the genius path, like the, the Sam Hinkie process. Like, every single one of this, you're going to need luck. You're going to need the right breaks. You're going to need the right matchups. Uh, I think what we're seeing in the NBA right now is in a series, uh, season with like unparalleled parity. Of course, it's going to become about the matchups. Of course, you're going to start seeing up, upsets, right? Like the league is getting flatter than ever and there's talent everywhere. So these things that really matter, like we're probably going to see more variants moving forward. So from a Knicks standpoint, it's OK. We feel really, really good about the talent we've developed. Uh, we, we've shown that we're a team that can draft and develop. We can find diamonds in the rough. Uh, we can get the best out of all these guys. Uh, we have a leader that we feel great about in Jalen Brunson. We need someone that fits that culture and we're not going to sacrifice what we are as a team to bring in just a star because it's a name, right? Like it needs to be someone that fits, that makes sense, that isn't the first name that hits the market, right? Like uh, I wouldn't be going all in on like Damian Lillard if he hit the market. Like I just, if you're gutting your depth for Damian Lillard, like as great as he is, I don't see that as a fit, right? So it's all going to be about who you're going for, how much you're giving up, and your level of confidence that you are still going to be able to maintain a functional team around them. So I will say, one thing that I found really interesting from listening to the chase down over throughout the series was when you guys would refer back to like, oh, we were playing the Warriors in the finals and like postseason series that you were relating this to. Mm-hmm. Just how we can't do that. Like we have the Hawks series from two years ago and it's like, oh, this is, it quite literally went the exact same way in the fact that one team was there for the first time and over a five game series, five games, yeah. it was like, like we, we were the same game too. Yeah. We were referring to it last night, right? Like some of that muscle memory you gain is even like what RJ went through, mm-hmm. which first two games play like crap wasn't a factor. Uh, I, I went on a Knicks podcast after two games and they were saying, hey, like maybe RJ is going to drop out of the rotation. And then for the rest of it, he's probably better than Donovan Mitchell. Right. And, and again, like that's one of those things where just because you have playoff experience doesn't mean you're going to consistently perform. Doesn't mean you're going to play well, but you get some of that muscle memory 
to bounce back, right? Like Kyrie played like crap in games one and two of 2016 and one and two of 2017, right? But he played great the rest of those series. That's what we saw at RJ. He played like crap for the first two games and he bounced back. He learned from that experience. And even after a rough up and down regular season, he showed some toughness and resilience here, right? Like, and Jalen Brunson has that. Uh, Josh Hart is, is a vet in the league. And I, I think that was a guy you could have easily identified before the series as he's a playoff performer, even though he hasn't been there. Yeah, the the Josh Hart of it all. And then I, I promise I'll, I want to talk more about RJ, but the Josh Hart thing, I feel like we didn't really talk about him before the series. And like he came up and I, I brought up how good they've been since the Josh Hart trade and how the much of a factor he's been. I didn't realize he was going to become like Tibbs' go-to 48-minute guy. The I, number I, I had a feeling. You you were too busy talking about Emmanuel quickly as the next okay. Michael Jordan. So hand up, that's on me. I did not I did say <laughs> that quickly goes through these shooting slumps, and you know, that yep. can happen. I didn't expect him to make like seven field goals in the series. Like and, that, and I was that, sitting here saying, hey, thing. you know, Karis Levert's a little better than uh, you think. Like he He's uh he's probably outplayed RJ for the the season mm-hmm. and I mean Karis outside of game one he is probably the most like reliable steady consistent calf throughout the series. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You've got New Year's goals, and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how easy, fun, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in your own kitchen. With fast and fresh recipes, HelloFresh's latest line of meals featuring robust flavors and filling portions are ready in less than 15 minutes. Enjoy taste and quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls, seared steak and potatoes with béarnaise sauce, or Southwest pork and bean burritos. If you're like me and just don't have time for food shopping, let the groceries come to you. Don't hesitate. Head to HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool50 and use code FilmSchool50 for 50% off plus your first box ships free. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool50 and use code FilmSchool50 for 50% off plus your first box ships free. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's funny that... Like we did get a lot right in our our pre series yeah. predictions and our coverage and um, where we we previewed out the series and and how it might go and how the Knicks would win. I gotta say, like the two biggest things I personally got wrong and really what we got wrong throughout the Knicks film school preview of this series. First of all, that they can't win a series without Julius Randle. They largely did. Yeah. Um, and this this RJ thing was just. I mean, the revelation he was from games three, four, and five, he saved his season. The The conversation is no longer... Because you want to talk about consolidation trades. He's been the guy that's going yeah. out. John uh, I call- mean, keep cooking. Keep cooking. I'm, yeah, I'm John, John called him matching salary at one point uh, in between <sighs> games. Oh, <laughs> now, <laughs> for those listening on the pod, Justin just grabbed a Knicks foam finger. And yeah. number number one foam finger and put yeah. it on let's, his. Let's go, his RJ. Hand. Now for, we're starting for, for the rest of the playoffs. Let's go, RJ. But now he's become a Knicks fan to root for his countrymen. Um, John to to antagonize the RJ Hive called him matching salary. And look, like <laughs> nationally, uh, Zach Lowe was like, "Why? When am I going to see a good RJ Barrett game?" Stephen A. For whatever he says matters, was like, "I'm I'm okay if he sits and gets out of the rotation." We thought his minutes would get cut under twenty as quickly has a good series as Grimes has a good series, and then come game three, I thought everybody on the court was kind of stiff in those first six seven minutes, and the only guy making shots was RJ. And yeah. then we get three straight games where he's not just playing like good basketball, not just playing the best basketball we've seen him play in this series. It's the best three games of his career. And so I guess on the opposite side of that, when you went into this series thinking like, okay, we don't really have to worry about RJ and games one and two really showed that out. Like, What was your perspective of seeing him suddenly become such an X factor and a difference maker over the final three games? Yeah. I mean, great for him, honestly, like this is, so much of when we're talking about basketball, like I always compare it to, I think some people think it's like algebra where, okay, here's player performances now solve for X of what they are. When in reality, right? Like it's human beings going out there that can play better or they can play worse. They can uh, have unexpected developmental curves. Like look at like even someone like Kyle Lowry, mm. that guy was, mm. it took him so long. Jimmy Butler was a late bloomer, right? Yeah. Like you can compare any player, any wing player you want, like under 25 to what did Jimmy Butler do at that age? And you have a hall of fame talent guy, right? Yeah. Like you never know when it's going to click. You And honestly, you don't know if it's going to last either. But at the end of the day, like you have to applaud someone for for finding their groove. And it sucks. I, I think the philosophy of let RJ beat us was smart when you're trying to take away other Knicks options. Like going into uh, game five, Knicks hadn't scored more than 102 in any game in the series. Like people pointing out the defense, the Cavs D rating in the series was better than it was for the regular season. That's yeah. not what lost them. And I, I, I don't know why the focus has been on the defense. It was on defensive rebounding. It was on the offense that was performing horribly. But uh, even going into game five, I haven't looked at the number since, but I know the Knicks had the worst half court offense in the playoffs. They finished as far as offensive rating goes. They finished 13th out of 16th through yeah. five games. They also are dead last in three point shooting. Yeah. So, the, the that's I yeah. think the craziest part to to Knicks fans like us that 
pay attention to numbers like that is like they won this series without shooting particularly well over yeah. the five games. Um, like I'm, I'm going to feel great if the Knicks are averaging 125 a game against Miami. Uh, right? Against like, the worst I, defense. Yeah, because that's the thing that we took away from. Like, look, after game two, we were wondering like, is like is Carter right? Like is is Cav- the Cavs figured out something on offense and yeah. now this, this series is going to play out a certain way. And then, you know, the next three games happened and obviously things changed. But, um, yeah, I'm curious how they face, how they do against the the Miami Heat team that will have, I don't think, as as good a defense as what the Cavs will. But we'll see what this Heat team is. Um, I have some rapid fire questions for you. And some of them are coaching related. And what I get from uh, your pod that you don't like to question coaching too much, but they are, I, I can't help but notice yeah, no i just can't help it. but notice how well tibbs coached compared to the bigger staff and some of the questions i have were like well why is he doing that and I, i'll start with the Okoro benching which i understood it in game two it was to kickstart the offense the knicks plan of leave Okoro open was working and it's how the knicks won game one to him then leaving the starting lineup in game three altogether Mm-hmm. And it just it felt like Tibbs was like, OK, yes, take away your best option for shutting down Jalen Brunson over yeah. the course of the series. And that allowed JB kind of get going over the next two. And he struggled in the second half of game five, largely because the was on the court for most of the second yeah. half for game five. So how are you like how are Cavs fans feeling about that specific decision when it relates to Bickerstaff and, and the job he did this series? Yeah, I, I would have stuck with Okoro. Um, obviously, it's tough. Um, Okoro was coming off of, you know, missing the last three weeks of the regular season. And in game one, he's on the ground multiple times holding his knee in mm. pain, right? Like, uh, so you don't know how much of a factor that is. I didn't mind, like, even though I would have stuck with Okoro, I didn't mind the decision to go with Levert because when you look at it for the season, the Cavs' best five-man lineup was the core four with Karis LeVert. And honestly, LeVert had done a good job on Jalen Brunson in game two, right? Like, Brunson's still going to hit shots, and I don't think he does as good of a job disrupting Brunson's rhythm. But I think if you look at the game-by-game production for Jalen Brunson throughout the series, you live with that. Like, you're going... you If the Cavs did what they normally do offensively, and obviously, I'm not saying, like, oh, they just missed open shots. I'm, I'm not being a, a Houston no, no, Rockets... No podcaster here but like if they did what they do offensively like the defense they played in this series probably wins you most series right like i i was perfectly fine with it and and like even game three like a lot of jalen brunson's buckets came dagger after dagger in that fourth quarter when the, the game was out of hand right like i was fine going with that lineup but my caveat would be i would would have wanted isaac okoro to be that sixth man like i want him to be the first sub whether like maybe you're even taking out one of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley at that point so that Okoro's out there with Levert, Garland and Mitchell. So there's a lot of spacing, his off ball cutting, uh, which I thought he actually did a pretty good job in the minutes he was there. Um, he, he's able to generate offense better that way. That would have been the decision I'd go with. I don't understand going with Ricky. Like uh, I, I don't understand going to Ricky Rubio. I, I don't think he should have played in this series. We don't know what the, the health situation is with Dean Wade, but Remember, that was one of the things that I highlighted was the single big rebounding numbers were awful. But if you just throw Dean Wade in there, all of a sudden the the percentiles jump way up and they're able to do it. So hopefully Dean Wade is able to get healthy over the offseason because I do think he's someone that helps out in the rotation. But in terms of the way Okoro was deployed, it's just not something I agree with. 
the decision to go with Garland on Brunson in game four. What was your thought there? I, I didn't mind it, honestly. Didn't mind like, it. Okay. And, and we we said it before the series. Remember, we were saying that too often they break their defense trying to like hide Garland more than they need to. And that outside of Okoro, I wouldn't mind Darius on him. And you look at that. I, I honestly thought like Darius caused a couple turnovers there. I thought he contested the shots well. And Jalen Brunson just showed better shot making. And yeah, you probably want length on him. But it's not like it was Brunson versus Mitchell in Utah where it was kind of you're not even needing to do a move. I'm just giving you an empty lane. Like I, I thought Garland's defense, I, I actually like your thoughts on this. I thought Garland's individual defense was pretty solid throughout this series. Um, I thought when I got to be honest, I never, I never had a moment where I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with JB having the oh, matchup no, you, with Garland, you know? No, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, this is like Marcus Barnes, Drew Holiday. I, I'm just saying, like, right. it, I, it wasn't I, like food, like w- Jetty Osmond down the stretch in game one. That That is for sure. Um, the, because it was the mismatch I was hoping for, it was just like, get, plus the guard-to-guard screens the Knicks were doing, if it yep. wasn't Garland, it was going to end up being Mitchell. I was fine with it because as, it was kind of what the Knicks were, hoping for it's like we end up with one of these guards on him and then like what jb struggles with is length or isaac okoro and in, in this yeah. series's case so it was yeah. very much for me anytime they're not bringing a coro over in a screen or when they have alan coming over to blitz or mobley coming over to blitz on the pick and rolls i was okay like any of these mm-hmm. guards i'm okay with even if like there were moments when Garland was effective. It was never, in my perspective, something that it was. It was more just like, oh, Brunson didn't get the first step quickly enough, or didn't yeah. make the shot yeah, that I, he normally makes. You know, and, and what you're hoping for there is holding your own in yeah. that individual matchup. And you know, it, if he scores, he scores. But don't break the rest of your defense. And I, I think where the mistake ended up coming from was really blitzing with the bigs as well in those spots because so often they were out of rebounding position. And I, I think it compromised the the defense in that way because, um, like Jared Allen's not a bad rebounder. Like uh, Mitchell Robinson is obviously phenomenal when it comes to offensive rebounding, but a mm. lot of it was when you you go back and look at the tape, it's okay. He's in bad position because he's helping and he's doing his responsibilities offensively, but that help uh, in terms of rebounding isn't there. Evan Mobley's not able to provide it, and frankly, like. Again, to to lean on past playoff performances, it reminds me of Tristan Thompson, who's a phenomenal elite rebounder, getting out-rebounded by Steph Curry because he spent so much of the time on the perimeter trying to blitz, trying to to provide that perimeter defense and taking himself out of rebounding position. And that's where... This is where Julius remaining on the floor I thought was actually important because... I don't want to call him a decoy, but it was very much like, okay, take Mobley over there. And he still has a presence, right? Right. Like his gravity was still necessary to the point. And look, I loved the minutes that Obi gave specifically in the third quarter of game five after Julius went down. I, I, thought, I didn't care for them. Well, okay. Personally, I, I loved it, obviously. Um, but the point being, like, he was still able to be impactful, even though he doesn't really command as much gravity um, in the half court. Uh, his gravity really shows up more in transition. Point being, I was okay with Julius missing all these threes. And it's this is why RJ's uh, performance in the last three games is so important because it gave them another option when those double teams and those those very uh, the, the pressures cl- higher up uh, toward half court that uh, that the Cavs would do with JB were so necessary because they needed a second guy when those double teams came 
to actually put some pressure on the defense. Um, you're right, though, that I thought the Cavs defended well, which is why I kept... I don't want to say... I, I, again, I don't want to keep questioning Bickerstaff, but that fourth quarter, the Knicks made four shots, and it was very much like... if the. I, I'm sorry to give you so much agony here, but like I thought that there was like a path toward them getting back in it. They cut it down to six in yeah. game five. I, I don't think... Yeah, and it just I, never I don't happened. think the defense... I don't think the defense is why they lost. Like I, I, I that's a very like anytime someone's bringing that up, it, to to me it's unconvincing. That's that's not where they lost. They lost on the offensive end, and um, I, I do think some of the decisions, like I, I think some of kind of the schematic when, when it comes to like blitzing and stuff like that, that put the Knicks in an advantageous position. And like these are all mistakes. Like whether it comes to the rotation or, or some of the schematic stuff, like this is all very fixable in my mind. Like in terms of growth uh, mm-hmm. that you want to see from the coaching staff, um, so it's not something that I'm like pushing panic on. But um, what I'm hoping for is that after the off season, there's a little bit more depth. Obviously, they're going to have the mid level exception to use. Uh, they have a ton of second round picks that they can use, and we saw that you can bring in a rotation guy like that. Um, whether they bring back Danny Green, you know, and and hope that a year removed from the ACL uh, that he's going to look better. Uh, Chris Fedor mentioned that they want to see Ricky Rubio play for the Spanish national team to, mm. to help get his in shape and get his conditioning up. What does another year of Isaac Okoro look like? Right. Like it's easy to forget. He is the same age as Evan Mobley, even though he's been in the league a, a year longer. Right. Uh, like I, I'm still a big believer in Okoro. And if Dean Wade can get healthy. Right. Like so if you're bringing in. Two, two more wings and you get internal growth from everybody else. You, you can feel a little bit better about it, man. I tell you, Fred Katz is going to love the the praise that Dean Wade is getting in this, hey, this podcast. Hey man, I, I, I am someone that respects Dean Wade. <laughs> I Fred Katz had him over uh, RJ Barrett in his rankings before. And that, now, now, if you're talking takes, that didn't work out. <laughs> and I love Fred. I, Fred my, has been reaped over the raked over the coals for that. That take. Don't worry. But, yeah, yeah. G- g- give him my love. <laughs> yes. Friend of the pod, Fred Katz yeah. on the pod the other day. And we, we changed his name to Fred Dean Katz Wade, which yeah. is uh, Dean Wade Katz, although I think Dean Katz Wade might actually sound like a better law firm. Um, point being, um, I I walk away from this series not not like the Knicks did win the series in five, like they did largely dominate the way that they wanted to dominate, but I see the path for this is this is the scar tissue series. This is the series that the yeah. Cavs go, they learn what this younger team learns what being in a playoff series is like. It's the unquantifiable things that I kept going back to as like John was writing these newsletters of like, okay, look at all of these four man lineups that are doing well for the Cavs. Look at all of these positive, like all of their top, all these positive use, process yeah. numbers. And it's like, okay, the, the Cavs are doing a lot of stuff, right? So they're going to win game four. Oh, so they're, they're going to win game five. And I leave this, with all these things of like, okay, they, this is their first try. Like you need to learn how to fail a lot mm-hmm. in the playoffs. You know, this from the the Cavs failures before, well, with LeBron yeah. even before yeah. the, the first, the, the, the decision. Um, but point being, um, I, I were, I I'm, I'm looking forward in the future that these two teams end up matching up again. As you said, the Knicks aren't going away and I don't think the Cavs are going away either. Um, yeah. oh, I, we'll see in the second round next year. Two, two, three matchup. I, I feel good about it. I'm okay with it. Whatever gets the Miami Heat out of my life forever, I'm okay with. Hey, um, hey, 
you beat him down, beat him down. I've I've already identified Max Struess as one of my favorite mid level exception targets. Okay. Um. So if we can bond over, you know, getting getting beat by the Knicks and, and wanting to to team up and go get them, just like LeBron joining the Heat to beat oh. Boston. So uh, let, let's do it. Gotta, let's do it that on. way. I gotta ask: Is there still animosity for LeBron leaving to go to the Heat that? That would sway you to root for the Knicks in this series. I mean, obviously RJ and then wanting to oh, like have that the team carry over. You. No, no, no. That's not like, there anymore. Okay. No, and, and honestly, like I like a lot of the. Like, it's very similar to the Knicks, where I like a lot of the people that cover the Heat. Now, mm-hmm. you you guys are going to get into some fights. Oh, there, we're already there. Giancarlo there's... Navas from the Miami Heat beat doing a live stream with him tomorrow so i love that man please he's he's outstanding he please bust his balls but they are tend to yeah they are unhinged oh yeah (laughs) they are far more unhinged than we are so you're you're going to be experiencing that i know you can laugh about this so i had while i was editing a seven-part podcast in the middle of the night last night um i had shout out to knicks fans who made us stay on for five hours but I had your show and I had the Miami Heat post game on two separate screens, or I guess like split screen on my second monitor here. And every time I get the chance, I go like five minutes here, five minutes there, because I was trying to multitask. So when I finally was done, I could finish. And the contrast in you and Mac talking about the Cavs series, and it's it it was it was it was a podcast, it was a conversation. I enjoyed it. I was I was like, okay, this is. This is them really rationally talking through their emotions, and it was good. And then Giancarlo's got a bottle of Henny while he's talking about as like he's peeking into his mic, and they're yeah. saying how much they're gonna fuck the Knicks up. And it's like, oh, this is going to go down a different path in the series. <laughs> and yeah. I'm curious yeah. to see how this goes. It's it's wild stuff. Yeah. And, um, like. Yeah. Even like Kevin Love played well the last two games. Like that's a guy. I I was gonna. I was wondering your so poorly. He played so poorly for the Heat. He couldn't stay on the floor in the play-in series. They they had to bench him in both of those Mm -hmm. games. And then just out of nowhere, he's hitting his shots. And and again, it's one of those things. Like I I don't know how much they're going to be able to play Kevin Love against the Knicks. I I don't see that being a helpful matchup. I know uh, Cavs needed spacing and they needed rebounding, but. You look at those regular season matchups and what the Knicks did to Kevin Love. I, I mm-hmm. just don't know if he's going to be able to stay on the court. But yeah, like it, it hurts. It, like, and there was reporting out there that they did look to to shop him, and there was nothing that went of you know costs a lot of money moving forward, and you lose your mid level exception, and you lose flexibility and stuff like that. Um, things that we're now like really holding on to, and honestly, like I feel almost a little bit better about the deadline because. As much as I really wanted the Cavs to go out and make a move at the deadline and was disappointed that it didn't come to fruition, the shortcomings were so clearly the four guys that you're building around and you're bringing back into next year that it almost makes me feel better that it's okay. Well, how much is Tim Hardaway Jr. going to, to mm. swing this series, right? Like, uh, or Sadiq Bey, who, who's just getting targeted every time on the floor, or like, I, they weren't a player like that away from beating this specific Knicks team. Maybe it helps in a different matchup where, hey, you just need a little bit of shooting. That's They're not as physical. They're letting the Cavs get into what they want to do offensively. Maybe you don't feel it there, but it's just it, it's something where those four guys are, are really going to need to reflect. And honestly, like I'm I'm still 
holding out hope that Isaac Okoro is going to remain part of that. I, I think, I think there's real potential for, for him. And I think he's shown a lot of growth. And honestly, he was one of the only guys that showed like kind of consistent toughness and, and ready for the moment. Like he was, he's taking the right shots. It's not like he was ever passing anything up. Yeah. I'm, I'm staring at the rotation now, other than Danny green, everybody else, it, it Levert's the oldest at 28. So yeah. I guess, Technically, Rubio is the one of the oldest at 32. <laughs> yeah. I'm counting the ones that should have been playing in the, in this series, but um, yeah, I, I I mean this in, in all sincerity. Like I'm, I, I think the the future is bright for for Cleveland. For any Cavs fans that are watching here that are disappointed by losing in five to the Knicks, this this like it's the thing I said before the series. This is just a different Knicks team since December fourth. It's a very different Knicks team since the trade deadline, and they just rode that momentum. And I'm also curious to see what Cleveland does with this kind of learning experience under their belt. Um, last thing before I let you go, uh, I usually end with. What do you think of the Knicks? I'm pretty sure we got what you think of the Knicks at this point. Uh oh. Oh, he's got his phone fingered, folks. He that's what he thinks of the Knicks. Uh give me your best, your best <laughs> breakdown or prediction for the Knicks Heat series. Be as on if you think the Heat are gonna win this series, go right ahead and say it. But but what do I have to look forward to and what do you see happening? Here's the thing. I was worried about playing the Knicks. I was more worried about playing the Heat just because I think Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the league and mm-hmm. playoff Jimmy is a nightmare. Um, I just think they're a little too small. And I think you might outbig the the Heat again in this series because Bam out of bio 6-9 and they don't have a lot of other bigs. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep Kevin Love on the floor. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep uh, Cody Zeller on the floor. Uh, Josh Hart, obviously, that individual matchup with Jimmy Butler is going to be like essential. But especially with Tyler Hero, like I just mm. don't see where the supplemental playmaking comes. Like I, I think the Knicks defense did take another step forward after Mitchell Robinson came back from his injury, after Josh Hart joined the lineup, after Emmanuel quickly had his emergence. Right, like they did things that made the Cavs offense like really kind of grind to a halt and this is a heat team that i know playoff jimmy's a a different animal and i know they're a better team in the playoffs but they still had a negative net rating for the regular season like Mm. i I, i'm picking nixon six here um again it's one of those series where i i could see either team winning i could see it being shorter i like this Cavs Knicks series could have been a bit longer if Josh Hart misses his shot in game one, right? Like sometimes that's what it comes down to in playoff series. Like uh, Heat Bucks, if Jimmy doesn't have that put back, like that series is going longer, right? Like it, the, the margins are going to be small and I think it's going to be small in the series, but I, I feel I feel pretty good about the Knicks chances of advancing the Eastern Conference Finals and boy, boy, by, if that's the way this goes where, where you're playing more likely Boston, but Boston or Philly Cavs fans are going to seem like just the most pleasant folks after, I, after Miami, Boston or Philly. I can, I can, can imagine. Um, I will say as far as matchups go and look, this is just how I'm processing all of this. Like I went into the season with like, just don't be embarrassing. Last year sucked. Just don't be embarrassing. And I predicted 45 wins. That was my most optimistic prediction because I was like, they won 37. They got Jalen Brunson. I'm high on him. He's got to be worth eight wins. Just be the seven seed. I'll be okay. They're the five seed. 
all the good things happen, the Josh Hart trade, the the pivot, the, the Randall Renaissance, um, Quickly's sixth man of the year candidacy, whatever the voting yeah. says. Um he, he was deserving. I thought it is. You know, I thought I'm after watching Evan Mobley for a couple of games, I, I was also thought he was deserving. Um I, I, it was so much as just win a playoff series and I'll be okay. And then it will be an honor to lose to the Bucks on their way to a championship. The thought that like you're now playing the heat, you're the better team with home court. Yeah, and then what's waiting, what's waiting for you. If you win and you take care of business is a Boston team that you beat three out of four. And I'm going to say it, you have the coaching advantage this in that Ooh, series. I like that. Like, I like that. Here's the funny thing. I, you just be, you triggered something that I, I was thinking about because people are like, oh, this is proof that the regular season doesn't matter. Well, the regular season actually did kind of show. It that really the Knicks did. Knicks ended up able. winning seven and nine against the Cavs ends up being like true to true to form, you know? Yeah. So I, I think people are just so lazy with their narratives that they don't even fully think it through. Like, yeah, there, there were issues that were, were identified w- within this series. And just like in the regular season, like, oh, uh, yeah, when the Cavs have... There are four guys on the court. It's a it's a positive net rating, and even in that series, it was true even in a five game loss. Although uh, game five did make it a little more almost break even. I think it's only plus one. Um, but yeah, like all those things we saw in the regular season ended up coming to fruition in the playoffs. And yeah, um, mm. Knicks absolutely de- deserve this win. So so full credit to them. Thank you and. I, I said it during our live stream in, in the middle. I forget which hour it was, but I did say it at some point. Uh, the cool thing about the pregame pod that we launched this year and getting to meet some cool people that cover their teams throughout the, this industry is that I found this. Well, I was I, I knew about the chase down. I listened to you guys a few times for specific like games and episodes in the past, but like getting to actually like deep dive and and look at the calves and hear another like smart version of basketball talk in another city. <laughs> uh, it was really cool. And I, I, I sincerely mean this that like the calves have a good one in, in the chase down and the coverage that you and Carter provide uh, Carter will be hearing from me in that Cavs oh, yeah. and five prediction. Don't worry. Oh. Uh, Remember how outraged I was with, with his confidence, the, mm-hmm. the way that he was jinxing. Like, even after game two, I was disgusted with all of it. And I remain disgusted. I will be podcasting with him a week from now. We're switching to our <laughs> once a week format here. Uh, that guy went on on a work trip and stuck me with uh-huh. podcast after a season <laughs> loss. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Carter? <laughs> uh, no, but I, I love him. And yeah, g- give him hell. I mean, he's I plan to. Yes, I, he may I have to pivot to a geo. He may have to uh, pivot to a geopolitical podcast at this point. <laughs> um, if you know, you know, uh, Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're a good sport. And thank you for uh, the, your kind words about the Knicks. And I look forward to potentially more matchups in the playoffs. Dude, uh, I, I Knicks, hope so, Knicks man. Cavs play each other. You know, I, I echo everything you said. I, I think you guys do a terrific job and I'm I'm hopeful that this is a first of many and we'll get lots of chapters and we'll find reasons to hate one another and we can have a little bit of fun along the way. So last time before uh, we see you next season, can you tell everybody where they could find you on, on the chase down? Absolutely. So you can find the chase down wherever you got this podcast. Uh, you can find us on YouTube on the Cavs YouTube channel. You can find me on Twitter at Cavs Canada. Just slap the Cavs in Canada. I apologize for everything else you find after that. (laughs) Justin, thank you so much, my man. Have a good one. 
One more time, a big thank you to Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Podcast and really Justin and Carter and the entire, I guess, the Cavs organization for doing this crossover with Nick's Film School and creating a new relationship here in the industry. It's really cool when you get to see the talented people that these NBA teams choose to add to their media departments. And then when they acknowledge us, it lets us know we're doing something right. So the KFS bump. Head on over to the Chase Down Pod on iTunes. Give them a five-star rating and review. It can be five stars for five games if you want. The thing you could put in the review is Nixon 5. But whatever you do, get their numbers up. Okay, the KFS bump, as we like to call it. In fact, head over to the YouTube channel as well. Put Nixon 5, but you guys are awesome, in the comments of the video that you put on uh, that they put up for their post game uh, after the Knicks beat the Cavs in five games. Regardless, shout out to Justin, shout out to Carter. Look forward to collaborating with them in the future. Speaking of the future, if you are listening to this on Friday morning, later tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on the KFS YouTube channel, me and Giancarlo Navas of Miami Heat Beat, you'll be live on YouTube with another pregame pod live crossover. Uh, again, 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they'll be live. Bring your questions, super and non-super. Uh, we will get as many as we can and preview this bad boy, this matchup between the Knicks and the Heat uh, in style. And what is sure to be a fun couple days and maybe even a couple weeks covering this Knicks series against the Miami Heat. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and review on this podcast. I will be back many times. We're not going to just wait until the series is over. We're going to try and do a pregame pod every off day for the Heat series. Um, don't know why I didn't do that for the Cavs series. I think just like the scheduling worked out that we were trying to do as much Nick-centric podcast that I didn't want to smother you guys with content that wasn't uh, Nick's related, but I think it's going to warrant it for Nick's Heat. So, until next time, which will be soon, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the weekend. Let's go, Knicks. And I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.